Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. As you heard us talk about um, growth groups, you, you heard that distinction about membership membership in growth groups. Um, One of the things that we wanted to change in the way that we did our growth group ministry is that a lot of people come to church and they want to connect, they want to relate, and they they do want to grow. But growth groups are not just an opportunity for you to grow. Growth groups are an opportunity for you to help others grow. And not everybody's at that place. Not everybody's at the place where they want to help somebody else grow. In fact, I could say, on average, probably 80% of the people, when they come to the church, they'll say, man, I want somebody to help me grow. In fact, if I were to do a different term, they would say, man, I want to be discipled. Man, I just, I've been going to church, but I want to be discipled. I would love to be discipled. And one of the things that I think that's beautiful is that people say they want not just to attend church, but they want to grow. They want to be discipled. One of the tragic challenges we have in community, though, is we have a ton of people saying, I want to be discipled. And yet we don't have enough people saying, I want to make disciples. And a Christian is a disciple-making disciple. Anything else is not what Jesus taught. So I want to just open our minds to uh, a picture and an image of defining what discipleship is. And next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about our systems. We're going to be doing growth group as well. We're doing Bible study. But today, I just want to anchor our time in understanding what discipleship is. One of the things you have to understand is that the term discipleship is not a Christian term. In fact, it's, it comes from a Hellenistic worldview. Uh, Greek teaching would happen often through discipleship. So we've used that term, but it is not our term exclusively. Uh, One author wrote about discipleship. He talked about this gentleman named Zeno. Zeno was uh, the founder of Stoicism, right? And he had a student named Cleanthes. Now, it's said of Cleanthes that if you saw Cleanthes, you saw Zeno because he was the express image of Zeno. One author said, they shared Zeno's life. Calanthes saw into his hidden purposes, watched him to see whether he lived according to his own rules. He followed Zeno. Not just his teaching, his lifestyle. A disciple, therefore, is not one who just merely attends lectures or reads books. A disciple, therefore, is required to interact with and imitate the teacher. That's discipleship. So we could say, and by definition, a disciple is a student being with and becoming like the teacher. Now, I'm not talking about Christian discipleship at this point. I'm just talking about discipleship as a term used universally throughout history. That's what discipleship is. It's not just a student in a classroom. It's a student with an intimate relationship with the teacher. Amen? So today, I think it's important that we understand the framework of being a disciple 
and making a disciple. Being a disciple and making a disciple. And God calls us to both. Both being a disciple and making a disciple. Now, Jesus was not your average teacher. He was, as one would say, audacious. His teaching style was wonderful because he had miracles that would accompany them. But in addition to that, Jesus taught on things that no one would teach on if they were trying to recruit people into relationship. His teachings were overwhelming. He would teach about love, he would teach about obedience, and he would teach about sacrifice. But he would teach on those things with him at the center of it. Many authors and teachers might teach on love and joy, all those things. But Jesus, when he taught, he made himself the pinnacle of his own teaching. Look look what Jesus did here in Mark 8. And I'm going to look at several verses, Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at several verses. And I just want us to understand what Jesus was doing when he was making disciples. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Mark 8, 34. So you have to understand the context. The context here is Jesus has just fed the 5,000. Y'all remember that? Feeding the 5,000 fish, loaves. He also just healed a blind man, right? So imagine if you knew somebody who healed a blind man right in front of you and gave you lunch to go with it. Would you not follow them? I would, right? So there's this huge crowd following Jesus. They've eaten. They've seen a miracle. Wonderful. So Jesus, after the miracle after the food, calls the crowd over. And it says, calling the crowd to him with his disciples because Jesus realizes that these people aren't just interested in following his miracles. They're wanting to become disciples. So Jesus says this. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, what's happening there is Jesus, when he says take up his cross, he is pointing to an image of torture, an image of torture that he would eventually be killed on. When recruiting, torture is not always the best thing to recruit people with. (laughs) Telling them you can't be yourself around me, telling them you're going to have to follow me wherever I go, not the best recruiting tool. Jesus was calling them to a life of suffering. This was not a sales job. Jesus was telling them that you'll have to lose everything. And there are other verses where he says, you're going to have to lose everything to follow me. Now, understand this. If you've been a Christian for a little while, you know that every day is not a life of suffering with you. It's not like you have a physical cross on your back and just, let me suffer for you, Jesus. That's not the life. The Christian life is not like death every day. We wouldn't do it if that was the case. But one of the things that I've seen, um, uh, especially young ladies as they're in the dating scene, they like date for a while, and then they'll go out on a date. Then finally, after about five years of dating, they come to a place where on the first date, they tell them like all the issues they have. Like they just, in the first day, like, look, I I like to talk a lot. I'm a lot, I'm a lot. Like, oh, you gotta, you're gonna have to deal with it. Like they come right out 
tell him all the problems and just like take it or leave it. First date, what you want? Never again? All right, I don't even want to deal with it. And I think the reality is Jesus is not painting a picture of what life is like. Jesus is painting a picture of what may, what may make you leave. And he's saying that from up front. This is going to be a life of suffering. So this, this is not going to be lunch boxes every day and people getting healed every day. You're going to have to change and grow and seek my face. You're going to have to love people and become more patient. You're going to have to decrease, and I'm going to have to increase in your life. So that's not the, that doesn't comprise the entire relationship, but that's what makes people leave. So let's just get that out the way now. Jesus was calling them into a life of suffering and transformation. It is important that as a Christian, moreover as a disciple, suffering should make you want to lean into the thoughts of the teacher. It should make you want to lead into the presence of the teacher. Not say, I didn't sign up for this. He's trying to tell you from up front, this is what you're signing up for. Amen? Amen. Not only did Jesus paint a picture of suffering, but Jesus was calling them not to loyalty, but to love. Think about this the audacity of these statements. Matthew 10, 37. Think about this. Matthew 10, 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Who says things like this? Understand what Jesus just said. The word love there is the Greek word phileo. And it is the kind of word we would use of brother or sister, connection. And the essence of what he's saying there is the person you phileo love, that's the person you want to be around. So you think, you know, when sometimes there's a, you know, our youngest daughter wants to be with her older sisters. Or there's people you say, man, who's the person you just love to hang around? Jesus is saying, I must be the person you want to be with the most. In addition to that, I want you to compare that to the depth and the, the most intense relationships that you have because in the Jewish community, your family was your most intense relationships. So he's like, you must love me more than your father, more than your mother. It would be deep if he said that because some of you are like, I can get over that. But then he said, your son and your daughter your own children, and all he's trying to do is take a look at all your deepest relationships, and if they have more depth than me and you, you're not worthy of me. Now, understand the word worthy there is the Greek word axios, and it's where it's like access, and what it's, it, the imagery is like a scale. And this is what he's saying. On one side of the scale, put your mama, put your daddy, put your son, put your daughter. Translating that, we could say, put your friends and your network. Put it on one side of the scale. And then he says, on the other side, put me. He says, and if that outweighs me, you're not worthy of me. Now, see, that changes everything, right? Because oftentimes we want Jesus, but we want Jesus to give us a family. We want Jesus to give us friends. And he's clearly saying, 
I am not guaranteeing you all those things. These people were following him because they thought, he, he said things like, I give life and life abundantly. They were following him because they believed he had life. But he's saying, no, 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 I don't want to just give you life. I want you to love me. He required love. Who does that? No, Zeno, Calanthus, all these, Aristotle, they weren't requiring love. He requires intimacy. He requires that. And he's saying, compare it to other people you are intimate with. Are you a disciple? I'm not asking, do you come to church? I'm not asking if you were raised in church. I'm not asking if you've had positions in your church. I, you, I don't care if your daddy's a pastor, your mother was over Christian education. I'm not talking about historical Christianity in your family. I'm talking about intimate Christianity in your life. And I'm saying, when you look at your other relationships, does Jesus have more depth than those other relationships? And I'm not here to convict you. I'm here to convince you of what it means to actually follow Jesus and not just come to church. And so this is, this is why we're saying growth groups, it's important that you remember because we're trying, to, we're trying to create this imagery of saying in our growth groups, we're trying to get at people who hunger for intimacy with Jesus and want to help other people grow because that environment is like, then you start talking with death. Because he's the most important thing. Then if you have other things going on, you will say, hey, I got, I got growth group tonight. Because these are some of the most important relationships with you. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So I'll talk more about that later. The other thing that Jesus said in John 14 and 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So he says here in John 14, Jesus says, the Greek word there is agape for love, and it means sacrifice. He says, if you sacrificially love me as you've believed I've sacrificially loved you, not only when he says you will keep my commandments, what he's saying is you will hunger for obedience. You won't, you won't just live any old way. It will be convicting for you to not operate in fellowship with Jesus. Because he's talking about intimacy and relationship. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So there, these audacious claims of love, obedience, sacrifice. Only Jesus taught like that. But Jesus then does something else. He says, that's what it's like to be a disciple. Then he says in Luke 6 and 40, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Jesus, therefore, says that to follow him is to be like him, to be like the teacher. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 19, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. So you don't want to fish for men right now, but if you follow me, this is what will happen. So replication, therefore, is the goal. That as Jesus made disciples, he would have it so that his disciples would make disciples, and his disciples long to see other people in the world experience the teacher Jesus. 
So much so that he says, I will make you fishers of men. I will make you long to reach other people for Christ. So therefore, if you are a disciple and you say, I have no desire to help other people follow Jesus, I do not know what you mean when you say you're following Jesus. Because Jesus Christ of Nazareth, as people began to follow him, he desired and commanded that they would fish for men. So to say you have a private faith that you're going to just, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, I'm going to keep on the bushel, and I don't want nobody to know at work or for my family or my friends, that's not following Jesus. That might be Christian, and you might just want to do stuff on your own, but that's not what Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching that you would be a light before men. That you, you would let the world know why. Because he's one of your most intimate relationships. And he's transforming your life. And you want to see him transform other people's lives too. And so he says, I will teach you to fish for men. You will long for people to come into relationship with Jesus. So here we see what it looked like to be a disciple. And then how Jesus taught that we should make disciples. Now, why is it that the making disciples part is so hard in our culture? Why is that? Why is it we never hear, you know, I need to make, well, like, I need to make some disciples. Why don't we ever hear that? I think I understand why after doing this for some time. In Matthew 28, Jesus says this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now watch this. He says, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And watch this. Now watch this last part. And lo, behold, don't miss this. I am with you to the end of the age. I am am with you. I'm with you. Now, which part of the previous statements is Jesus with us in this process? Is it go, therefore? Is he with us in the going? But then on the make disciples part, he's like, that's on you. You got that. When you go, like you can go to Bosnia and win people for Christ. I'm going to be with you on the plane, but when you get off, it's on you, dog, right? Or when we make disciples, baptize them, he's with us in that. But then when it comes to teaching them, that's on, that's on you, you're going to have to teach them. Or when he says, I'm with you, he's with us in the going. He's with us in the making of a disciple. And he's with us in the teaching of disciples. Jesus's presence in discipleship is the key dynamic of discipleship because he's always been the teacher. And the problem is people think I can't make a disciple because they think they got to be the teacher. And if we would see discipleship as Jesus is teaching it, I believe we would make more disciples. Uh, let me make a statement. Christian discipleship is the fact that we're students of Jesus. That means we're intimate. Reaching other people to follow Jesus. 
while helping other students of Jesus learn to be like Jesus through the presence and power of Jesus. We're students of Jesus reaching other people to follow Jesus while helping other students of Jesus learn to be like Jesus through the presence and power of Jesus. So discipleship is when we take the words of Jesus, we call on the presence of Jesus, and we try to grow together to be like Jesus. And then we long for other people who don't know Jesus to come and be in the part of that world. The problem in discipleship oftentimes is people aren't looking just for a community of discipleship. They're actually looking for a mentor. And mentorship is a wonderful thing. Mentorship is, yo, you are really seasoned. You've been, you know, you've been on, man, you've been through a lot. Like, teach me the ways. Like, I want to learn from you, right? And that's when you're teaching them about life and about Christian life. And that's, there's a form of discipleship in that. But that's not discipleship in its core. There are people who want to just, I, I need some therapy. I need to talk to somebody. And you find another believer and it's like, man, I want to just let my hair down and talk to you about everything. And, there, and there's like this therapeutic quality where this person is taking in every you say and they give you deep insights. That's a form of discipleship, but that's not discipleship at its core. There are people who want kind of reparenting. They want a father and a friend and a mother. And they're like, man, nobody really cared for me. And so I want to be discipled. I want somebody to come and care for me and connect with me. And yes, there is a parenting dynamic in discipleship, but that's not discipleship in its core. Discipleship is in we as students take the words of the teacher. This is the teacher. We're not the teachers nor are we even good tutors. We're teachers, and, and we're not the teacher. We're students with a teacher. And the, and the reason why people are like, I can never make a disciple is because you're, you're thinking, I can never be a great teacher. You were never the teacher. You see, class is in session. Jesus is still teaching on the throne. And if we teach without the teacher, we're not teaching. Do you understand? The presence and the power of Jesus is what makes a difference in our discipleship, not great advice, not great insight. It's not that. We we are not the teacher. He's been the teacher, and he will always be the teacher, and his class is currently still in session. He's still teaching. (laughs) So when you say, I want to make a disciple, you're, you're, you're busting out the book of Philippians and you go over it with somebody and then you call on the presence of the power of the teacher and he begins to teach you his word. And, and I believe that part of the problem is, you know, part of the problem is the amount of Christian content we have now. Where we think to be teaching someone else the faith you have to be profound. You got to be deep. You know, you got to drop jewels, pearls. It's got to be amazing. You know, it reminds me of what DJs do. Because if you think about what DJs do, DJs don't make songs per se. They take somebody else's song and they drop it, but they put like another beat behind it or they have it sounding really dope. So you're like, yo, I've got forgiveness, value one. Yo, we're going to teach forgiveness, not 70 times seven. You know, we got to make it all dope. Literally, people are like, I got to make forgiveness sound dope. It's not really dope. It's really hard. Man, how can I spice up prayer? Like, what, 
What are we doing? We don't make disciples because we think we have to be profound. And that's, and that's the problem even in church growth. People will come in and they'll be like, yeah, I heard, I heard what you read. I, personally, I didn't get none out of that. Personally. That's me. I felt like a lot of people got something out of that, but me, I just didn't get none out of that. I was like, the words I read, not, you're doing all that? Like, when we were teaching on forgiveness and kindness and love, you're doing all that. Nah, but I just really wanted, like, I want something more than what I read. I'm like, okay, I get it. I do, I get it. It's because we have saturated the market with Christian entertainment and Christian education, and people, people now think they're getting discipled because they watch videos in their home and have no relationships. They're not making disciples. They're not connecting with anybody. So now it's like, well, I, I have a lot of Christian content I've memorized, but you're not loving, you're not patient, you're not kind. You know why? Because I don't see you with people. You have to be with people. You have to be with people to grow. So you, oh, you can have all the content in the world memorized. And you got, you got this, you listen to this pastor and this person, you read this and you read that, and you've got content on content. We are in the most saturated Christian content market ever. Is the country better? <laughs> is the country better? Is this the most loving moment we've ever had as a society? Are people coming to America and be like, they're love? Is that what's happening? Is that what's happening? It's because we think content is discipleship. We think being profound is discipleship. Don't you imagine what it was like when Jesus left? Imagine what it was like walking with him for three years, the real jewel dropper, right? The one that's really doing profound things, and he leaves. Imagine what they felt. But that's why it says when he ascended, they stayed in prayer. And they went to an upper room and they just prayed. And they prayed for the power of the Holy Spirit. And, when the whole, and then Jesus had prophesied that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, his power would come down. And you'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. And so what Jesus prophesied was the key to extending the name of Jesus would be the presence of the Holy Spirit. The greatest question we must ask ourselves when in a discipleship relationship, which is, if you, if you are in a relationship with another believer, as long as you all are talking about the thoughts of the teacher, the life of the teacher, as long as you are drawing on the presence and the power of, of the teacher, all of these relationships can be discipleship relationships where we are helping each other grow. That's what it was always supposed to be. And so... As we enter into these, the biggest question is, did Jesus rise from the dead? Or another way to put it is, is he alive or is he dead? Is Jesus alive? Is Matthew 28 true? I'll be with you. Is that true? Because if that's true, then forgive us for all the times we've talked about you but didn't ask your presence to be with us. Forgive us for trying to use your words to be profound. Forgive us for not begging you to change us. Instead of trying to memorize your words, we need that word 
to transform us. And we need not just memorizing, which is a beautiful thing, but also transforming. The scripture reads in Luke 24, Jesus had rose from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, there was this two disciples walking on this road called Emmaus. And they didn't know that it was Jesus talking to them. And so there's this moment where Jesus is talking to them and all of a sudden their eyes are open that it's actually Jesus. In Luke 24, 27 and 34, it says, and beginning with Moses, watch this, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus literally taught them about himself. And then in verse 32, it says, they said to one another, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus walked with them and taught about himself. Jesus, the teacher, still has class in session teaching about himself. He wants you to, Jesus every day wants to teach you about himself. Class is always in session. In the morning, in the midday, and in the afternoon, class is always in session. Entering into another relationship with another person who is a student, well, now you all are disciples being discipled by the teacher. But don't, don't ignore the teacher. I was a horrible student, praise God. And part of the reason why I was a horrible student is because I was the guy during study session that cracked all the jokes and totally relied on the other people in the study session. They took good notes. And can you imagine during a study session, you're about to go into a test. Can you imagine during a study session, someone goes, well, we can just call the teacher. We can just call him. Like, you got the teacher's number? Yeah. And they call him up, hey, what did you mean by this? And the teacher can be there right in the study session with them. And can you imagine we have access to the teacher, Jesus? Our growth groups function like study sessions. But when we ignore or uninvite Jesus to them, then it's just a bunch of friends hanging out. It's a bunch of advice maybe even accountability, but it's not inviting the teacher to do the real work he wants to do. Class is in session, and it is always in session every day. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence and your power. Be with us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. 
If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.